friend we have in Jesus. All right, so if you turn to John chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 16. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you will be my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. All right. It's a big chunk of scripture. And you can kind of connect the title to some of the stuff that's in here because Jesus calls us his friend. I want to set a little context for you because I could have just used one or two verses here. And, and I could have run with that. And I, I think that's okay to do sometimes. But oftentimes we get caught up in what one or two verses say in the Bible and we miss the main picture. We miss the big thing that's happening. And so... What's happening here is Jesus is in the middle of his passion. It's what we call the end of, of his life. He's in his last few moments with the disciples. The Passover supper has just happened. Judas has left to betray him. He has washed the disciples' feet. And now he is in this big teaching that stretches over several chapters of or section and chapters that is him teaching and exhorting his disciples. And he is preparing them for his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. His closest and truest friends that he has journeyed with for three years are about to say goodbye, and they have no idea. And he's wanting them to understand that when he is physically not here to remain, because he's still going to be here. And so he's giving them this allegory, this analogy of a vine and a branch and a vine dresser. And there's some things that 
you really need to grab out of this. So if you're taking notes, get ready, because we're about to write down a few things. And if you have highlighters or pens, pull them out and get ready to highlight some things. Because the first thing I want you to put down is remain. Say, remain. Did you notice how many times Jesus said remain in this passage? He was like, remain in me, and I'll remain in you, and I remain in my Father, and remain here, and when this happens, remain, and also remain in my word, and if my word remains in you, then this, and remain, remain, remain. Anyone notice that? The more you read it, the more that word's going to stand out. So find those words. Some uh, versions might say abide, stay steadfast. Stay, whatever your version says, highlight it, underline it, circle it, scribble it. That's important. Remain. Number two, you are being pruned. If you remain in the vine, then you are going to be pruned. If you don't, you won't produce fruit. Highlight it, underline it, circle it, whatever you got to do. Number three, well, first say this, say, I'm being pruned. Okay, number three, your purpose is to produce fruit for the glory of God. That is your purpose here on earth. Nothing else matters if you do not produce fruit. It's for his glory, his majesty, his kingdom, and there is no other calling. Say, I have been put here to produce fruit. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. Number four, you can do nothing apart from the vine. You can do nothing. No matter how hard you toil and strive, you will never do anything apart from Jesus, from his spirit, from the Father. Just as Jesus does nothing apart from God. And so if Jesus can't do anything without God, we surely can't. Say, I can do nothing apart from the vine. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. And then lastly, I think it's number five, right? Lastly, if you remain If you stay, if you do it with him, you can have anything that belongs to the kingdom. Anything. So, there are several ways. We're about to get to what I'm talking about. You ready? Hold your breath. Several ways we could approach this verse. There's so many things we could talk about when it comes to remaining and being pruned and walking with Jesus. In fact, we've seen some of this talked about over the past several weeks. Pastor Bill just got done with a series about authority, right? He said the things that were in here, we can have anything we ask in Jesus' name. He really approached from the the part of gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, the authority of Jesus. But here's the deal. If we don't remain, if we don't produce fruit, then we have no authority because we've been cut from the vine. And the gifts no longer matter. 
Remember in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says, Many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name. And we did all these miracles in your name. And he will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. So if we do not produce fruit, then everything we've done in his name falls short. It means nothing, which further reinforces that our purpose is not the signs, the wonders, and the miracles, but the fruit. And the benefits of the fruit are the signs, the wonders, and the miracle. You can't do one without the other. So we could talk about it from the standpoint of I could have anything in his name, but that's been covered. Even Dylan talked about that last week. Phil touched on that a little bit. We've heard that a lot. We could talk about sin and God pruning sin out of our lives. We could talk about difficult situations and remaining. But one thing that we often skim over a lot in the church is how to remain with our emotions. Today, I want to talk to you about feelings and emotions. Any groans in the room? All the men said, ugh. Right? We don't like talking about emotions. Emotions are uncomfortable. They're hard to deal with. There's several kinds of people, right? But there's usually typically about two, maybe three types of people when it comes to emotions. They're the kind that everybody knows. You know what I mean? They walk in the room and they're like, ah! their emotions are just pouring. I'm one of these people. Hi. If I'm happy, you know it. And if I'm sad, you know it. And if I'm mad, you know it. I am an emotional being. All my family said, amen. So emotional. I cry and I don't even know. Like, it just happens sometimes. I'm like, am I crying? Why? I don't know why. I'm so emotional. And I'm just like, all the time over everything. And I'm not just emotional. I'm passionate in my emotion. So when I'm crying, I'm not just silent crying. I am weeping. Loud, just and sometimes, because I like being that emotional, I'll stare at myself in the mirror <laughs> while I cry and say things like, you could have done better to make myself cry more. I'll turn on a song that I know is just going to hit right here and just, <laughs> just because it feels good. Because I am emotional. But... When I'm mad, I am emotional. And I don't want to stop being mad, and I want to let you know it. And on top of it, I cry when I'm mad. And when I'm happy, I want to do all the things that make me stay happy. And I cry when I'm happy, too. So I'm emotional. And there are people who can relate to that. And then there are the people who are like, don't pay attention to the elephant in the room. I am emotional, but I'm trying to hide it, and I'm going to deal with it by myself, 
and right like they'll admit they're emotional but they won't say they're like yeah Gabrielle that's too much you should have taken care of that because I have control of my emotions and I only weep and gnash my teeth in the closet so right and then the third person is the one who locks everything in the closet it's that messy room in the house that when company comes over, the door is closed and no one goes in. And every once in a while, you might go back there and open the door and look just to get a little overwhelmed and go, oh, and then shut the door and walk away. We can't, mm -mm. emotions, nope. My husband used to be this way. So much so that if he ever started to feel emotions, a joke started happening. Things to make him just like, nope, nope. Tears coming, uh-uh, ha, 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 let's joke. And I'd be like, can you be serious? I'm like sobbing and you're picking. He's like, I don't want to cry. Because these type of people, emotions make them feel a lack of control. It makes them feel like they can't steer things. Or these type of people, it's, it's not logical. You can't think with your emotions. Emotions will steal you wrong. They're foggy and they're bad and you can't hear from God with emotions and Emotions are horrible, awful things in your mind. Your mind never leads you astray. Don't get me into that with scripture. But we have people like that. But here's the deal is that I heard someone put it this way once, and I was like, that's pretty good. I'm pretty sure it was my mom, and she probably got it from somewhere else, so don't quote me on who it is because I don't know. But you have to treat your emotions like toddlers. They can't drive your car, but you can't lock them in the trunk, right? I think about my nephew, Asher, his little three-year-old self running around. If anyone's ever seen him before, you know where I'm going with this. There are times when he was two and even now at three that there's just screaming happening in the car and we don't know why. He's just like screaming and throwing a fit. And then we found out it's because he didn't like the song on the radio. You know what I mean? Like, and imagine him driving a car. We would die. But also, what if you saw me pull over on the side of the road and take screaming Asher out of the car and put him in the trunk? You would be very concerned. <laughs> Usually when we do this with our emotions, they are just like toddlers and they still scream in the trunk, then they get quiet, then they grow up and figure out how to free themselves. They bust through the back seat and they grab the wheel and they crash the car anyways. And a lot of times we think that we are doing good by locking our emotions away. That means we are in control but in reality, they are still controlling you. And as human beings, we have to learn to live with our emotions in the car. And not let them drive, but let Jesus drive the car. He is the best navigator after all. And so in this, I want to talk about remaining in our emotions. And doing nothing apart from Jesus means we have to be emotional with him too. 
And as someone who is an extremely emotional being, I have not always done this well. And I'm still working on it. But there was a time where after I gave my heart to Jesus, before I did, I, I had some issues with God. Was angry with him a lot. And um, bitter. And I don't, I'm a very happy-go-lucky person. I don't like to feel that way. And so when I came to Jesus and Jesus set me free over several years, when things begin to happen in my life and emotions would rise up that seemed to, to contradict what Scripture said, like anyone heard the Scripture, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then something would happen, and I did not feel like rejoicing or being gentle. And I would go, wait a minute, this doesn't line up. I do not feel like rejoicing. My feelings feel real because this is real. What's happening with my eyes is real. And, and I feel mad and angry and disappointed and frustrated, but I can't be angry with God again. I remember where I was when I was angry with him, and I can't do that. If I sit here and feel this way, I begin to doubt and question who God is. And I've determined that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he said he would do. And so if I feel this, it contradicts this. And so I can't let Jesus know that I am feeling these things because it's, I can't let anyone know. It's a lack of faith. It's doubt. And this religious spirit began to weave lies into my life that I could not be an emotional being and be in relationship with Jesus. I cannot feel and have emotions, and Jesus cannot see them because how could he ever understand? He's God. He's perfect. And so I would come over here and I would weep and gnash my teeth and throw my fists to the sky and scream and be like, all of this is awful! sometimes in private, sometimes on other people, but not with Jesus. I'd go, Jesus, stay over here. Oh, what is happening? Weep, 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 gnash, gnash, gnash. And then I'd straighten myself up, and I'd come over here and go, you are good, good. Oh, you're never going to let you're never going to let me down. He's letting me down. Straighten myself up. You're faithful. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm doing good. God, I trust you. Oh, I know, I know, I know. That's over there. Don't, don't pay attention to that. I trust you. I trust you. Is he going to come through? Straighten up. Don't pay attention to the elephant in the room. You're good. Your word says it. 
You're good. Anyone been there? And I got to a point where I began to have mental and emotional breakdowns. What I was trying to do in the closet started bubbling out in my life, on my family, on my job, on my husband. Poor thing, he saw the worst of it. <laughs> but I, I thought, I can't tell Jesus this. He can't see how I feel because how I feel contradicts who he is. And he's not going to understand that. And so I have to deal with this in order to be a good and faithful servant, in order to be a good friend, in order to truly let everyone know that I trust Jesus, I have to deal with this in the closet, in the dark. And I would try things like locking it, my emotions in the car. Didn't last long. But I would try. I would scroll social media. I would binge watch shows. I would sit and read books that weren't beneficial for me and my faith. I would numb myself so I wouldn't feel, so I wouldn't be disappointed again. So I wouldn't be hurt again. So I wouldn't hope again. I would go to the doctor and get another bad report and I would numb myself. So the next time I went, I stopped hoping. I stopped asking. I would come to Jesus and we'd talk about the weather, and we'd talk about Scott, and we'd talk about Josiah, and we'd talk about ministry, and we'd talk about everything but my healing and my situation and my emotions. Because if we don't talk about it, when it doesn't come out like I think it should, I don't have to be upset with you. I don't have to be angry at you. I don't have to be disappointed and lose hope, and I can say I still trust you because I never gave it to you. And so, I'll just be numb. And Holy Spirit, he's so good. Here I go. I'm emotional. He's so good. Because one day, as I'm weeping and gnashing my teeth over here, talking to myself as if Jesus has not already been sitting and watching me, talking to myself about my anger, saying it would be okay. It would be okay if tonight I went to bed and tomorrow I was with Jesus. It would be okay I wouldn't be a burden, so it would be okay. I'm so tired. I'm so tired of trying to do all of this and contain all of this and keep all of this in. I'm so impatient. And Holy Spirit, so sweet, so gentle, sometimes sassy, steps in and goes, Gabrielle. And I said, no, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to myself, which sounds so stupid, but this is a real conversation that happened. Talking to myself, 
I can't talk to you about this. And he says, Gabrielle, why will you not let me in? And I said, because you wouldn't understand. You've not been here. And Holy Spirit said, Gabrielle, didn't Jesus have skin just like you? And I went, and? Gabrielle, Jesus was human, but he was God. He was God. He was, he was God. Gabrielle, Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. He experienced all the range of human emotions. No, 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 no. Because our emotions lie to us. Our emotions fog things up. Our emotions will muddy the water. Our emotions will lead us astray. Our emotions are sinful. They're sinful. And Jesus did not sin. Ha ha, I got you. Gabrielle. And he started to lead me through scripture. And he said, go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So, let's flip to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And it said this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created us in his image. In verse 26, just beforehand, it says that he looked at Jesus, at Holy Spirit, at all of the heavenly beings and said, let's make man in our image. Now, does God make mistakes? No. So how could he make me to be like him? And then... Oops, but I didn't mean to give her those emotions. Ooh. Do you think he was like, and a little bit of this, and a little bit of this, and oh, 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 that was the wrong vial. She was not supposed to be emotional. You think he's running around heaven going, what do we do, what do we do? She's emotional. Well, she's just going to have to struggle with it. He designed me. His word says he knit me together in my mother's womb, that he knows every hair that's on my head. If he's so detailed that he collects the tears, I cry in a jar. Don't you think he was detailed enough to make me emotional because he is emotional? And I was like, okay, but he's God. So, like, he didn't really feel those things. And I have this image of Jesus in my head. It's that stoic image. We've all seen it somewhere. It might be above a toilet in a bathroom, in a church somewhere, or at your grandma's house, or I don't know. But we've all seen it. The one like this of Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's white Jesus with his blonde hair. 
stoic. Or maybe it's the statue like this. Stoic. Nothing touched him. He walked through this life and they were like, we hate you. And he was like, Pfft. right? He scraped his knee as a kid and he was like, away with you, mother. It doesn't even hurt. This is the image we have of Jesus. People died and he was like, meh. Nothing. Numb. That's the thing. We picture him as numb. We say it's not numb, but that's what it is. If we do not feel, we are numb. Why do you think they numb the area before they give you a shot? So you won't feel it. It's numb. And I had this image, and I'm fighting with Holy Spirit. No, nothing affected him. He was just like, I'm going to stay the path and I'm going to stay the course because he's God. And he was like, Gabrielle, why do you think we came to earth for you? I was like, for me to die so that I could live in eternity. And he said, you missed everything. The point of him coming was not just to let you be in heaven. It wasn't just the cross. Now, I, don't get me wrong and don't run off going, the cross, heresy. The cross is the most important sacrifice and thing that has ever been done in human history. He gave everything for me. And I am not downplaying the cross, but Jesus did not just come God did not take himself off the throne and subject himself to humanity. See, that's the real sacrifice that we're missing. God took himself and put himself in human form, subjecting himself to everything we would ever go through to teach us how to live with him. He knew that what would happen if he did not, because God could have made a way. Don't you know? He could have made a way. He's God. He did not have to come, but he did. That's the true sacrifice. He knew that we would be over here weeping and gnashing our teeth and going, but you won't understand. And so he said, I will become 100% human. And I will feel everything. And I will experience everything. And I will face temptation and face sin head on and show them that I know what they've been through and I know how to overcome it. So, Gabrielle, why are you hiding how you feel? Why? And he began to lead me to passages of scripture. He took me into John 12, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And said, Gabrielle, 
What does it say? Jesus wept. What? What's it say? Jesus wept. But okay, it's that. Which one's here? No, look it up. In the Greek, wept there is the only instance of wept that is ever used in the Bible. Sure, there's weeping in other places and wept in other places, but this specific definition is only used once. This word only used once, and it was done by Jesus. And it was deep, painful sobs. And I've heard pastors go, yeah, Jesus wept because he was disgusted with the disciples and Mary and Martha and their lack of faith. No, he wasn't. That was not disgust, which, by the way, can be a feeling. He mourned and grieved the loss of Lazarus. He was grieving. Holy Spirit said, Gabriel, he was grieving. He felt pain. He was grieving because the world should have never been this way. It should have never happened. This was not the original plan, and he was grieving that Mary and Martha were hurt, that the disciples were doubting, that Lazarus was dead. And I said, okay. And and Holy Spirit said, Gabrielle, he's God. He knew what he was about to do. He knew that he was about to go to the tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth, and he would. He knew that he would live again, and yet he took time to grieve. Your grief is not lack of faith. Your sadness and disappointment isn't a lack of faith. You can still know what he will do and grieve the loss that should have never happened. He said, Gabriel, what's that next verse say? says he was filled with anger. Hmm. Gabriel, flip to John 3 and 4. Go in there. Tell me, um, what, what happens? Uh, Jesus is flipping tables at the temple. Wow, he was angry and he reacted. And yet he never sinned. See, his anger there, because I just want to give context, was at the injustice that was happening because the tables were set up in the Gentile court. It defiled the place of worship for the Gentiles, and they no longer had a place to go to worship. And this was done intentionally by the religious leaders because they were prejudiced and didn't like the Gentiles. And Jesus was angry at the injustice that was happening because of sin. And so he flipped tables. 
So he was angry and he never sent any. He took me further in John and said, Gabrielle, let's go and see where, where Jesus is praying in the garden. And he's talking to his disciples and he says, will you stay with me and pray with me? And they say, yes, Lord. And he goes away and prays. And when he comes back, what does he find? They're sleeping. Jesus was disappointed. He, he was like, oh, could you not tarry with me just one hour? Right? He was frustrated. He, he comes to them, and I can just imagine the mud smeared on his face, blood, tears, tear stains. And they're probably thinking, what happened to him? And he's like, could you not just, why? He felt disappointed. And then when he's praying in the garden, where we see another stoic image of Jesus, with the light shining down, right? That's not what happened. I'm convinced. Because the Bible says that he prayed so fervently that he sweat blood. I don't know about you, but I've experienced some kind of anxiety in the past couple of years. Panic attacks and all the sorts, and I have never sweat blood. Have you? He had fear. He had worry. He had hesitation as he said, God, please, please take this cup from my hand. I imagine him laying prostrate on the ground, covered in, in the mud as he wept, getting up on his face. He might not look in the mirror like I did and cry more, but he was crying. Wiping, smearing blood and mud. Going, God, please, is there any other way? Why do you think Jesus felt this? Because he was 100% human and had experienced pain and rejection and hatred and abandonment and loss. And he knew this was going to be painful. And Holy Spirit said, but the important part is he said, but not my will, your will. The sacrifice that was made on the cross is so beautiful because Jesus was everything, has been through everything that we have been. Has been everywhere we have been. And he said, now, Gabriel, Flip to John 8. So I want everyone to go to John 8. The main verse we're going to look at is 32. But we're going to start with verse 28. And this is what it says. So Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. And Jesus said to the people who believed in him, 
You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus did nothing apart from the Father. He said everything God told him to say. Holy Spirit remained with him, and yet he experienced all these emotions? He didn't lock them in a closet. He didn't act like they were not there. He did not go away and deal with them and then come back and put everything on as if it was good and raise his hands and go, and God, I will do what you say. He dealt with it with the Father, who is an emotional being. He comes from the Father, the vine, and we come from the vine. And so we will deal with emotions. But then he says... Again, here, remain faithful. Remain. Everybody say remain. And then he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, we've gone over this a lot here at the river. We like beating dead horses. It's okay. But know here means gnosko. That's the, the word in Greek. I'm going to have my mother read the definition because I'm not going to butcher that. The definition is to come to know, recognize, perceive. So to come to know, to recognize, or perceive. Especially through personal experience. Also used of the carnal connection of male and female. So what it's meaning here, how it was often interchanged. It's saying the carnal connection of male and female. It's saying intimacy. This was used when you were wanting to talk about knowing someone intimately. Intimately. Now, I want us to take out the idea of intercourse here because you can know someone intimately without knowing their body, and you can know someone's body and not know them intimately. And so what it's saying here, Jesus is like, you need to know all of the truth, every bit of the truth, all of the things about truth, you need to be intimate with it. You need to come to recognize, you need to come to know, and be so intimate with the truth that for me, if my husband says something and he's out of the room, I know it's his voice. That I can tell his walk, right? I can tell a hand gesture. I can tell, even though he's smiling and talking to someone behind his eyes, he is frustrated. Right? I need to know truth so well that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know. And truth here, the actual word is, I don't have the word memorized. Aletheia. Aletheia in Greek. And its definition is truth, universally, reality, certainty, certainly, undoubtedly, definitively, surely, and in fact truth universally not your truth and my truth you saw it this way but I saw it this way and so because that's not truth 
It's truth, universally, undoubtedly, certainly, unequivocally. It is what it is what it is, reality. And so he's saying here, you will recognize and come to know and be so intimate with universally, undoubtedly, unequivocally, reality. And reality will set you free. And then he said, but don't stop there. I want you to go to John 14, verses 6 and 7. And it says this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you don't know him. You do know him and have seen him. Jesus here says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I cross-referenced this version, or this, not version, definition of truth. I don't know what happened behind me. It's okay. Okay. Just heard noise. Um, I, I cross-referenced it and found it in four, or three other places. And this is one of them. Jesus says, I am the way. I am reality. I am life. And if you had come to recognize and known and been intimate with me, you would have come to recognize and know and be intimate with the Father. And now that you have seen me and you have come to know and recognize and been intimate with me, you know him. Then, if you go to John chapter 15, I don't know where this part is found. Verse 26. Verse 26. Jesus says this. Here's another cross-reference of this definition of truth. That I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Again, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of universal, undoubtedly, unequivocally, certainly reality. And reality will testify about me. Reality. And then, further, yeah, further down in John chapter 15, it says this. John 16. 16, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Verses 13 through 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. This spirit of reality will bring us knowledge about reality and re will reveal to us reality and show us all the things about the kingdom that is real. 
this is important because here's the deal. This feels real. My situation feels really real. When I've been sitting in the doctor's office and they've looked at me and said, we don't think you'll ever regain your sight. We're just cruising, hoping that you don't lose more of it. That feels real. When they told me, we don't think you can have children, that feels real. When they said you're going to have to live with diabetes for the rest of your life, and I'm having a low spell, and I can't tell what's up or down, and I think I'm about to die, that feels real. When I've been attacked, persecuted, hated, that feels real. And Jesus is saying all of those feelings are real. But you're not in reality. So when you're feeling real effects from this alternate reality you've lived in, that you've been subjected to because of a decision made by Adam and Eve, when you're feeling those real effects, look at me. Don't shut me out. Don't lock things in the closet. Don't act like they're not there. Bring me in. Pull me down on the floor with you. Let me rage at the sky with you. Let me weep and groan and moan with you. Let me sit there and hold my head in my hands. Let me hold you. I want to be intimate with you. I want you to be intimate with me. This is how we build trust, Gabrielle. And so I begin to do these things slowly and surely. Letting Jesus in. I would get a bad report. And instead of raging at my family or my husband, I would go and sit in my room in my yellow chair. And I would weep openly and say, Jesus, where are you? And I'd hear him say, I'm right here. And I would say, this seems hopeless. Are you ever going to come through? Are you ever going to keep your promise? Are you who you say you are? And I would look up and he'd be weeping. And he'd say, God, she's wondering if you're ever going to come through. God, she's wondering where we are. Father, will we keep our promise? And then he'd look at me and say, yes, we will. 